0: Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Well, folks, the State of the Union speech came and it went. And let's be honest, most of us have pretty low expectations of what we are going to get out of a State of the Union, no matter who is the president. The speeches have become more of a laundry list and a check the box than a compelling call to action. But this year's State of the Union was maybe a little bit different. Of course, the world tuned in to hear what the president would say about the Ukraine situation. And he did start there and spent nearly a third of his time on that topic. But others, including some outside the US, were watching the speech for other reasons. Well, they were wondering, what would the president say, if anything, about the Build Back Better Act? And of course, the tax proposals included therein. Would the president continue to push forward on a global agreement on taxes? That is, of course, BEPS 2.0. Well, we got answers to that question, and that's what we're going to discuss today. I'm joined by our friends Jennifer Gray and Tom Stout as we try and read, or read between the lines, of what the president said in the State of the Union speech. All right, so my first question then is for you, Tom. There was a lot of question about what the president may or may not talk about in the State of the Union this year. He did end up talking about tax. That wasn't a certainty going in. So question is, were you surprised at all that the president did talk about tax as often and, frankly, as early as he did?
1: Not too much. It's clear that his theme in the State of the Union, which was tax fairness and basically raising taxes on corporations and the wealthy, that's a theme that generally polls well. So the fact that he raised it in that kind of a general fashion... Doesn't surprise me at all, and especially because he obviously clearly wants to keep whatever it is now, not the BBBA, but BBA or whatever the new name B- is.
0: Building a better America. B-A-B-A,
1: okay. B-A-B-A, okay. <laughs> and we lost a B and picked up an A, I think. Clearly he wants to keep that alive, so that's part of it. If there was anything surprising about it, or at least very interesting, is that he talked about a couple of specific proposals in his tax plan, in particular, the book Minimum Tax and the Global Minimum Tax, which he connected with an agreement among 134 countries. I mean, obviously, that's the OECD agreement, which probably underscores the significance of that particular set of proposals in his plan. That is a little unusual. Talk about specific tax increases in a State of the Union. That was a little bit surprising to me.
0: I shouldn't say that I was surprised. Surprise maybe isn't the right word for me. I just going in, it was to me an open question with the urgency of the Ukraine situation, that the president may spend the entire speech talking about that. He did. He spent about the first third talking about that, but then he came back to domestic policy. So again, I wasn't completely surprised, but I wouldn't have been shocked had we not gotten tax
1: at all. All yeah, right. I think there were kind of, kind of two State of the Union addresses. There was the part about the domestic agenda, which was probably the real State of the Union address, and then there was the add-on at the beginning about Ukraine, which he probably hadn't planned on doing originally. Right. As a practical matter,
0: I'm sure the speechwriters had been writing for weeks and weeks on a particular speech and then, of course, had to modify it as events in the Ukraine unfolded. And you can sort of see how that happened. They glued the first part on you know, international affairs on to the more traditional speech. All right, so Jennifer, let's come back to tax and let's dig a little deeper here. Tom already told us we did hear about tax. Did we learn anything new though or was it just a rehash of everything we talked about back in 2021?
2: What was perhaps interesting is paying attention to what he did and did not highlight. Certainly the child tax credit as we would expect. He mentioned some issues with energy efficiency, particularly with homes. But you know, he did not mention anything particular on rates. He indicated that he did... Want to see increases in taxes for high income folks, but no particulars on that. As you know, that and the corporate rate, both of those are sort of interesting issues and what's going on reportedly with some of the dynamics among the Senate Democrats, whether all of them support rate increases or not. Certainly, our understanding is that they all don't support rate increases. So I thought that was interesting. There was a mention, not by name, but by description of what's going on in the OECD on pillar two. So I thought that was of interest
0: as well. Am I reading too much into it that the president did not say, I propose raising the corporate rate to 28? One way to view that is he's saying, well, you know, he didn't provide that level of specificity, but, you know, that's still his proposal. Or do you think we can read into that by saying he's given up on the possibility of raising the corporate rate at this moment in this particular proposal the building a better America and would come back to it at some future point? What do you think, Jennifer? Am I reading too much into it?
2: I really read it as leaving the issue open. I mean, from what we understand, Senator Cinema apparently has some concerns with raising the rates. It's possible that other members in the Senate want to raise the rate of probably the majority of the Democrats do. And so I think taking a position on that really probably wasn't in his interest at that point. I and mean, that was really the way I read it was just leaving the issue open. Allow flexibility in the Senate.
1: <laughs> do you agree, Tom? Did I read too much into that? I think there's a real nod to reality in the State of the Union. I think leaving out the corporate rate discussion might not have been in there anyway. But he clearly left that out. What he did do is talk about deficit reduction, which is something that Senator Manchin, who's the key holdout, wants in this. He's also sort of shifted the arguments somewhat for doing his BBA, BABA, or whatever it is, plan to address the inflation concerns by talking about this as a, as a cost reduction measure, either you know, on the front end by actually reducing drug prices. For instance, he talked about prescription drugs or on the other side, talking about reducing the cost of childcare by subsidies. He's sort of shifting the arguments to recognize that inflation is another key factor in trying to get this done. But overall, to me, it looked like a nod to reality. This is sort of where the negotiations are now. I'm negotiating with Manchin. I can do the international provisions. I can do some other things to tax corporations and tax wealthy individuals things like the surtax, but recognizing that deficit reduction is going to be part of it as well.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. These speeches are so carefully written that there's always subtext. And I just happen to believe that this was an acknowledgement by not calling it out specifically that they are prepared to move on from a corporate rate increase this year. Not forever, but at least this year. So now, one thing he did call out specifically was the 15% global minimum tax. You all recall, no doubt, that the president's original proposal was 21%. That's an acknowledgement of the reality in Congress. One other thing to just note, as both of you mentioned, is that he did say that let's raise taxes on the wealthy. Now, he provided no specifics there, right? He called out other things by name, you know, the global minimum tax, the book minimum tax. He doesn't say a word about that. Do we know what that means? So it's an open question. Obviously, we've got the surtax in the Build Back Better Act. We've got other ways to raise taxes on the wealthy in Build Back Better. But we don't think it's going back to something like, for example, step up a basis at death on capital gains. Do we? Is, do you Wait, think that could be still contemplated?
1: That statement was more a reversion to the usual kind of political statement you make, which is it pulls well to say tax the wealthy. It, it doesn't necessarily work well politically to talk about the specifics of how you're going to do that since someone always gets offended and thinks everybody else is wealthy not them so i thought that was just sort of a more generic poll well and then we'll see what we can get gesture but yeah they are where they are with the house passed bbba bill uh, you know they've got the surtaxes on the wealthy in there and, and a few other things But as we know, they haven't been able to address rates because Senator Sinema, whose vote is also necessary in the 50-50 Senate, haven't been able to persuade her that uh, rate increases can be done.
0: We're going to find out, I suppose, if we do get the Green Book from Treasury with their proposals, will the Green Book (laughs) reflect the reality as the Build Back Better Act has shown it to us, or will they revert to last year's aspirational version of the Green Book? And we'll find out then do right, I want to come back to something else you talked about, Tom. As you said, the president said that we are going to, as I understood it, in the context of passing this piece of legislation, reduce the deficit. So how did you take that? What does that mean to you when he said that he wanted to use a piece of legislation to reduce the deficit?
1: Clearly, again, Manchin is the one driving that theme. He said that's something that he could get behind. So I think what that means is Manchin was... Very specific about it recently. He said he wanted a dollar for dollar reduction in the deficit for any spending programs. So if you're going to spend a trillion dollars over 10 years on spending, you've got to reduce the deficit by a trillion dollars over 10 years, which puts a lot of downward pressure on the spending programs and probably some upward pressure on the revenue provisions. Interesting. So what did it mean to you,
0: Jennifer, when he said we wanted to use this bill for deficit reduction? I took it as
2: being pretty vague. I sit here and actually went through the transcript of the speech prior to us recording this podcast and just seemed rather vague to me. There was backward comparisons of the deficit now versus deficit, you know, under Trump during the COVID crisis. And honestly, it seemed a little vague to me. It seemed to be discussed in context with other decreases like ways to cut prescription drugs and uh, perhaps going after some of the uh, fraud that may have happened under some of the COVID spending plans. I certainly did not take it directly as referring to tax increases, but of course that doesn't mean it wouldn't.
0: Interesting. I took it. I'll just let you know how I took it. I took it. I thought the most plain reading of what he was saying is that they passed this bill with tax increases in it, that the tax increases, the revenue raised from tax increases would exceed the amount of spending in the bill right, that would raise taxes more than they would spend by some amount, maybe a dollar, maybe a trillion dollars. And that would be what he had in mind and doing, which would enable the administration to get their tax increases that they proposed as part of the Biden plan through, as well as the spending proposals they want, and also making Senator Manchin happy at the same time. Now, I think you would all agree with me. It's been a long time since we've seen anything that looks like that, right, where we raise more revenue than we spend in a specific
1: piece of legislation. I can't ever remember that happening. But. <laughs> right. It's been a while. So it's, it may have happened back in the 84 legislation. We may have yeah. seen that. It's been a minute so, since we've done this. So,
0: and it's an open question. We don't know if anybody would actually support that. You know, you might have a lot of Democrats who are willing to raise taxes, but they're going to want to spend the money that they raise on child tax credit and a number of other things. So if that's really the plan and if this bill actually gets moving, that'll be one of the fascinating things to watch. Okay, Jennifer. Back to the speech. Is there anything that we heard from the president that you think changes the trajectory for a tax bill happening this year? Did it make it more likely, less likely, or is it kind of just status quo?
2: potentially it raised the profile a bit. Folks were really wondering since they weren't able to get the bill completed by the end of the calendar year. And then, of course, I did not turn around and pick it up immediately in 2022. So I think if nothing else, perhaps it raised the profile to have the president speaking about it so much during the State of the Union. I think that was the way I took it
1: i'd agree with that there have been some that have declared it dead and clearly what he did by making a deal out of it in the state of the union is say it ain't dead it's still something i want to do it's it's still one of my priorities he talked about a lot of other priorities in here too so there's some risk of getting it lost but the way he structured it was along the lines of where we think at least the negotiations may be now with mansion which is having that deficit reduction element in addition to limiting somewhat the spending programs and perhaps having to finance them over 10 years instead of some limited period of time, the difficulty they're going to run into in trying to do that is they're then going to have a problem with the other side of the Democratic caucus, which is trying to sell them on, as you suggest, John, drastically reducing some of their priorities on the spending side in order to make the numbers add up. Yep.
0: I think that's right. I think that the president coming back in this venue when he could have easily glossed over it and focused on other things, came back, reiterated to his Democratic colleagues from both the House and the Senate, this is still a priority. Don't give up on this. means that none of us thought it was dead. It was just a question of where on the priority list it ranked, and it keeps it on the list somewhere. So last question for both of you. Jennifer, I'll start with you. What do we think then happens next with B-A-B-A? Are we going to get action? A call to arms from the State of the Union where Congress steps in immediately and starts working on it, or do we think this is going to be a sort of slow simmer over the course of the year?
2: Depends on what you consider over the course of the year. I mean, I don't think we're going to see a bill in the next week, certainly. Will there be efforts made over the next few months? I think absolutely as has always been the case when discussing these bills this year and the end of last year, is that it's an odd dynamic because so much focus is on one or two senators and really what they decide they want or or don't want. And so it's really hard to predict. I think more difficult to predict than normal when it comes to these conversations because of that.
1: Tom? I'd agree with that. They've still got a, a little problem with getting the budget done, which they're not quite finished yet and reading through the state of the union again it, clearly what he's made the first priority after they finish the budget is not the baba but the bipartisan innovation act the industrial policy semiconductor r d bill that appears to have bipartisan support parts of it do so I, that's his first priority so it is going to take them a while to get back on the baba and in that regard we haven't seen any direct Discussions between the White House and Mansion since before the Christmas break, so they've got a way to go.
0: I think that's right. We've got the. Bipartisan Innovation Act, seemingly going to be in play here relatively soon. We've got, of course, Judge Jackson confirmation hearings so that she can become Justice Jackson. That's out there, and that's something that's likely to happen over the course of the spring. wouldn't be surprised to see further congressional action on the situation in Ukraine, and who knows what else. So somewhere, at some point, they're going to have to turn to Baba and find if they're going to act on it with the idea that eventually— they're going to run out of time right when they leave in august that's probably the end for them to do this before the election do you agree that once they leave in august the windows probably closed right
1: the odds of it happening are, are going to go down there's one other thing they're going to have to try to deal with now and that's that they stripped out biden's COVID testing and treatment plan from the budget for weird reasons so that's another thing they're going to be coming back to immediately
2: and you know i think another issue which we all knew but i think has been made more in your face recently is with the illness of one of the Democratic senators, the fact that it's a 50-50 Senate and what that means as far as trying to get legislation moved and the potentials for a change in that number and what that can mean.
0: Yeah, that's one of the realities of having a 50-50 Senate. So, well, so what we're all saying is the future is uncertain. Okay. That was hopefully very helpful for everybody to hear us say, but it's simply true. It's a very... Uncertain complex time to try and predict the future. That this legislation is still in play and it could still happen this spring. And it's just going to be one of those things we're going to have to continue to monitor. Tom, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us this week. To wrap up, I just have a question for you. Did you watch the State of the Union? I ask because it's hard for us here in Washington to know how big of a deal it is out there beyond the Beltway. Believe it or not, here in DC, There are State of the Union watch parties with hors d'oeuvres and cocktails. Yeah, really. Probably much like the rest of the world does for things like the Oscars. But I get the feeling that maybe most normal people find better things to do at 9 p.m. on a weeknight, maybe catching a few minutes of the speech here or there or waiting for the morning news to figure out what they missed. And that's not really an indictment of President Biden or President Trump or President Obama or Bush and so on. It's really, if anything of an indictment of the format of the State of the Union itself, or at least what it has become. These speeches are really pretty formulaic, tipping the hat to the interest group or that interest group one by one. They include poll-tested phrases that are designed to be a catchy soundbite in the next news cycle. Now, you're probably thinking, yes, John, but this is an American institution. It's a tradition. It's always been like this, but really, has it? Let me tell you about another State of the Union address. This particular speech, it called for immigration reform, called for policies to develop technological innovation here at home rather than abroad. It called for greater funding for the sciences. The speech made an appeal for controlling the country's borders for greater safety of US citizens. And finally, the speech made an appeal to Congress, an appeal to cooperate with the president on policy priorities. That State of the Union said all that, yet it came in at just a bit more than a thousand words, about two and a half pages long. So what president gave this speech? Well, it was George Washington, of course, and it just goes to show looking at those topics, the more things change, the more they stay the same. But maybe we should adopt the precedent that sometimes less is more. With that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. Please don't forget to submit your questions, your comments, and your suggestions to our inbox. Take care, and I do hope to see you soon.